We are in 1 Kings chapter 12. We have finished with the life of Solomon, and we are on to the next king. We actually have two kings that will be uh, coming up here in this, this chapter. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of the king of Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father, and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. So they go to the place of Shechem. You can really have some fun with this if you go through the, the Bible and see all the things that happened at Shechem because their court were quite a bit. But Shechem is still, at this point, is not a real prominent city. It's going to become more prominent, and Jeroboam is going to build it up. But before they come to Shechem, now where had, where had uh, David reigned out of? Jerusalem. He first did Hebron, then he moved over to Jerusalem. Where had Solomon reigned out of? Jerusalem. If you're going to make the next king king, where would you do it? You would think Jerusalem. Why are they going to Shechem? Because there has been a division growing between the north and the south were the number of different things that had occurred, one of which seems to have been when David moved the ark. Because he moved it down to the southern plot spot where he moved back to his house. And apparently, <clears throat> the north didn't like that. And a few other things had happened to where the south had become more prominent and the north not, and they felt like they, uh, they deserved a little bit more. If you want a good case of, uh, of what this would be like, if you go over to New Jersey, because New Jersey is about the size of Israel, if you go over there, there is a division in New Jersey, north and south. It's a very different territory. If you go into the North Jersey, very different people, very different businesses. If you go into South Jersey, very different, very different sports fans. If you go into North Jersey, you have New York fans. If you go into South Jersey, you have Philadelphia fans. It's, it's almost two different states. There is a, there's a lot of fuss going on in New Jersey because the northern area gets more of the money and the southern area is contributing more. And so they don't like that as much because they want more of the money to go into the south since that's where a lot of the tourist money is down in the south. But a lot of it that comes in goes to the roads of the north, goes to the cities of the north, goes to a lot of the needs in the north and not as much into the south. You have some of the cities in the north that are getting more attention than some of the cities in the south. Take Trenton. And so you have a lot of this division. This is what is building in Israel. When he goes to Shechem to make him king, that's their purpose for coming there, to make him king, there is already a division. It is not the kingdom suddenly became divided. They are already divided. He is going to Shechem to appease the north. Otherwise, why wouldn't they send representatives down to where the king is and where they're going to make him king, which is in the south, in Jerusalem. They called for Jeroboam. Why did they call for Jeroboam? Jeroboam was the one who had the prophecy. Jeroboam was the one who was in revolt to Solomon, probably because of his idolatry, more than anything else. He was called by God, so there had to be some, something in him that was uh, uh, going towards God. And therefore, he would have called Solomon out on these things. So they call for Jeroboam to come up. Why would you call for a guy to come up to Shechem from Egypt 
if you are not having a, another plan in the midst. So Rehoboam, unless he is a completely ignorant leader, knows I am going to Shechem to appease the north. They have called Jeroboam up. The prophecy of Jeroboam was well known enough that his father knew about it. If his father knew about it, if the northern tribes know about it because they called for him, why doesn't Rehoboam? And if he does know about it, why is he not prepared for this meeting? I really don't know. He should be much better prepared for this meeting. He should be coming into this meeting and he should have sent out his feelers. He should have, you know, had all the poll people going out there and do some polls. What is your desire for the next king of Israel? Why not? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have that, that up over there. There we go. Got out of habit. I was in the back instead of in the front and got out of my normal, normal thing. So, we're, he, he's unprepared for this meeting. He should know a little bit about what's going on. Why am I going to Shechem? What are they looking for? What are they asking for? What do you think they might be hitting me up with questions? Because they're coming there to see, are we going to stay under Rehoboam or are we going to go under Jeroboam? And so when they come to him and say, your father's yoke was heavy, make it lighter. Why doesn't he know this is going to be the request? He should. He's either an irresponsible leader or he just doesn't care or there's something going on here. He does, it's wise that he says, Give me three days. He's not prepared. He doesn't say come back in an hour. That's good. But he should have been prepared for this. He should have known what was going on. Because he makes the trip. The trip to Shechem is not, uh, you know, it's not a hop, skip, and a jump. It's halfway, about halfway between Jerusalem and the northernmost part of the kingdom. So it's not like he just went to the next town over. This is fairly well into the northern tribes. So, Israel's complaint, your father's yoke was heavy, lighten the burdensome service, and we will serve you. Now, Jeroboam is there, probably one of the spokespersons. He's there. He has the prophecy that God's going to give him ten tribes. But he says, or they say, if you will do this, we will serve you, which means Jeroboam is out. So at this point, it seems that Jeroboam trusts God enough to go with this, to go along with the request or to help make the request or whatever it might be, and feel confident that the, that the tribes are still coming to him. Now, look at the complaints here. Your father's yoke was heavy. We uh, lightened it up some. Didn't say to let it all go. He just said, lighten it up and we will serve you. There is no complaint about false gods. When, if, if it was a God-fearing nation... Wouldn't they have a complaint that Solomon led us into idolatry? We want to get rid of the idolatry. How about the many wives? Solomon took a lot of our daughters, put them in his harem. We don't like that. Solomon took a lot of foreign uh, women and brought them into his harem. We don't like that. We don't want any more of this multiplying of wives. What about the Word of God? The other things that were in the Word of God, multiplying horses, multiplying chariots. What about all that? They didn't complain about any of those things that Solomon did against the word. All they complained about was what Solomon did against them. That was it. Verse 5. So he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Well, you can give them three days. And King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? 
And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, and they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. Now he just said, Depart from me for three days. He's going to go. He's going to get counsel from other people. What do you think the people are doing? Do you think that they're quiet about this? Do you think they're not talking about it amongst themselves? Because he's basically going to come back with two answers. One answer, yes, I will do it. Second answer, no, I won't. What should we do if he says no? If he says no, we're out of here. So they have already prepared their response in the three days the same way he's prepared his. Same thing we would do. They've already talked about it amongst themselves. What if he says yes? Well, I'm willing to go with the house of David as long as he lightens this load. And they may even consider what do you consider to be light? They may have already figured out what they, they want to be as a light load. I don't know. They, they never got that far. So he goes to the, the folks who stood before his father Solomon, counseled him, talked with him, and their answer is a good answer. Their answer would have worked. That's what they asked for. They said, you should do this. You should go ahead and, and tell the people, yes, we will. if you'll serve them, they will serve you forever. If you can come here and serve them for this, this period of time, they will serve you forever. I bet you, even if Rehoboam lied, even if he said, yes, I will do that, and lightened it for a year, and then began to bring it back up again heavy, I bet you they, they, well, they wouldn't have rebelled right away. Maybe they would have eventually. But that would have been better. What's he say? Hmm, does not go in a good direction. So he, uh, he goes away from them. He goes over to the guys that he grew up with. Yep. Go with the people who know no more than you do. <laughs> Probably even less. Because <laughs> he at least had his father Solomon, though it doesn't seem that his father Solomon put any time into getting Rehoboam ready to run, run the kingdom. Of course, with 700 wives, 300 concubines, all the buildings, things he was doing, he was probably busy and didn't put any time into Rehoboam, it would seem. Because there is absolutely no wisdom in this man. If he could have just transferred some of it. David spent time with Solomon, grooming him. How many times do we hear Solomon talk about, my father said this to me. My father told me this. This is my advice my father gave me. This is what the words of my father. How many times David must have sat down with him and done this? And yet how many times does it seem that Solomon sat down with Rehoboam? He sat down with other people who were coming into the kingdom and paid them. There was a going right, how much you paid to come and hear the king, but he didn't spend the time that he should have with his own son to get him ready for the next king, next kingdom. So he goes to the guys that he grew up with. What advice do you give? How shall we answer this people who have spoken to me? Look at the difference. First, he goes to the older folks. How do you counsel that I should answer them? And in this one, how should we answer them? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? That kind of tells me that Rehoboam went in there with an attitude. With an attitude to the, the, the elders. And I, well, I ought to do this. These are the people that were here. I should you know, at least listen to them. How do you say I should answer this thing? But when he gets to his own folks, he says, how should we do this? But when he came out, he, he didn't get advice from both groups and then decide which one was better. He went to the elders first. 
how do you tell me I should, should answer? And as soon as they gave it, he rejected it. And then he comes over to the younger folks. How should we do this? He's already rejected their advice. Let's go on to this one. Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Much more substantial whip. They had things tied into it and it was a lot nastier. Now, this is an unwise answer. Of course, we, we see from the end of the story. We all know the end of the story. It's a very unwise answer. But when you, have to, when you think about it, there's a lot of reasons why this is unwise. First off, Solomon's yoke was extremely heavy. He had huge building projects. He did all kinds of things. Is Rehoboam going to keep that up? More than likely not. There's not a whole lot to build. He's already got a new house. We already got a new temple. We got apparently houses for the, the, the women. We got uh, cities for, for stuff. We got cities for chariots. We got cities for horses. We've made all this stuff. The people have built all this. this. Are you going to tax them more? Are you going to force them into more labor than what was done? Are you really going to up the ante from what Solomon had done? Does he even think about this? Is this even a serious request? I don't think he's serious about it. I think it just sounds good to him. And, well, I'm going to show him how tough I am. And apparently he didn't have anybody to show how tough he was to after this. So did he really plan to do more? I, I don't know how he could have. Right? That's what he decided to do. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me in the third day. The king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. He spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. So you come up to Shechem because they are considering a revolt. They have the person in hand that they are going to put in your place. And you come out and answer them this way. Here's what's really fun. You are in foreign territory. You're not in Jerusalem. You are in foreign territory. And this is what he decides to do. A very unwise thing that he does. But it doesn't stop there. Now, so I don't think I filled in your outline, but we did give you this part. Uh, the prophecy to Jeroboam was known. It was not hidden anywhere. It was known. His trip to Shechem was to appease the north. Verse 17, But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So he not only says this stuff in foreign territory, he stays there and sends the guy out to collect their taxes. Is this smart? If they say to you, we're done with you, we're all going to our tents, you rule over your own people, 
Why would you stay there? But he stays, and he sends his, his tax guy. Now, if you're the tax guy, and he calls you, go on out there and collect the taxes. What are you, what are you thinking? Man, were you just in that meeting? Did you see what they said? Did you see what they did? You want me to go out there and ask for them for money? And Rehoboam says, yes, go out there and do it. And somehow he's either forced to, felt, you know, threatened for his life, whatever it was. He goes out there and he does it. But you got to understand, you got to, if you were him, do you want to do this? I don't think so. So he sends them out and they stone him. It's not a pleasant way to die. They don't just kill him. They make his death be drawn out, be long. They want to send the message. And they got the message. King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste and fled to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. That's the day of the, day of the writing of uh, Kings. <clears throat> of course, when Kings was originally written, it was Kings, the book of the Kings was not first kings and second kings it was divided just like it was in the chapters and so forth verse 20 now it came to pass when all israel heard that jeroboam had come back they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all israel there was none who followed the house of david but the tribe of judah only and when rehoboam came to jerusalem he assembled all the house of judah with the tribe of benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of israel that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So it seems that Benjamin is the one tribe they were given. Judah is the tribe that was uh, assumed to stay. The cloak was uh, divided into 12 pieces. Ten went to Jeroboam. He says one was given to the house of David, but that left two pieces. So uh, Judah and Benjamin are probably the ones that were there. But he went down there and he, he decided to go, let's go to war over this. That's a good way to solve it. And he gets 180,000 people together of Judah and Benjamin. In the days of David, when they took the census of Israel, this is before Solomon, this is in the days of David, in, that, in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 9, Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. In Judah, there were 500,000 men who could fight in David's day. In Rehoboam's day, between Judah and Benjamin, there are 180. That has gone down. Why has a good number gone down? Don't, don't, hasn't the nation of Israel continued to increase all these years? Why did it go down? Because under David, they were a warring nation. When you are a warring nation, what do you need? Fighters. So you raise up fighters. Under Solomon, they were a building nation. And so the manpower and the training went into building, not into fighting. So your fighting men go down. Now you got 180 when before you had 500,000 just in the one tribe. That's substantially lower. But the word of God came to Shemaiah. The man of God saying, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people saying, thus says the Lord, you shall shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house for this thing is from me. 
Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. Now what is interesting about this is Rehoboam has not listened to anybody. Certainly nobody wise. And he goes on down because he's mad and he's going to raise up people. So I'll get an army let's go out there and let's fight them. And a prophet comes and says, don't do it. Now here's, we'll have to probably wait to get to heaven to find this out. Does Rehoboam listen to the prophet because he decides to submit to the will of God? Or does Rehoboam listen to the prophet because all the people heard the word and said, well, we're out of here. (laughs) I don't know which one's true. I tend to think because of the pattern that he has established that it's probably the second one. That he doesn't go because most of the people heard the prophecy and they said, we're not going. If God says we're not supposed to go, we're not going. And so they, uh, they, they probably backed out. Just from Rehoboam's lifestyle and what we know in the, in the future, it would seem that's the way that it had gone. But again, the word of God doesn't tell us that. And we turn the focus over here to, to, to uh, Jeroboam. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim. So we took this insignificant city, still didn't become too provident, and we built it up so that it became prominent again. And he dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. So this is uh, some of the southern part. He's building up some cities in the, in the south, basically for defense. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. He said this in his heart. I put this in your outline for you. What we say or think inwardly has an outward effect. We've got to be careful of the things that we let go on on the inside because what we say inwardly will have an outward effect. You think of it yourself. If you go on in, out there for a job interview and in, inwardly you say, I don't have a shot, how do you approach that? Does it have, not have an effect upon you? If you go into a, a store and you say, I'm going to shop till I drop, <laughs> Does that have an effect upon you when you go into the store? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, these kind of things, we've got to be careful with the things we say in, inwardly. Because it, it may be inward right now, but eventually it will come out. If sickness and disease is going around and we say inwardly, oh, I think I'm going to get that. Those kind of things can happen. If we say things inwardly about our expectations, about our kids, about our job, about whatever it might be, Doesn't it seem to have its way to to come about? Be careful what we say inwardly. There's other places in the Word of God we see that as well. So he's saying this, If these people go up and offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. So we have revolted. We have divided. We have the northern. We have the southern. We have our own king. They have their own king. But the problem is the center of worship for Jehovah is in Jerusalem which means they have to make the trek down to Jerusalem every year. This isn't going to go well. He's, he's thinking about this. Who do you think put that in his heart? Who do you think comes along and sows that thought in his heart? What are, you, what are you going to do with the people of Israel as they go on down every year going down to Jerusalem? And they see the splendor of Jerusalem and the temple. And they come up here and there's nothing. What are they going to do? You think they're going to get tired of you? 
Yeah. They get tired of you and they decide to go back to the house of David. What are they going to do with you? They're probably going to kill me. He begins to think about all these things and all this problem. But when God gave him the word, did God say any of that was a problem? He said, I will give you ten nations. If you will follow me, I'll make your house an enduring house like I made the house of David. See, when God gives us promises, when God gives us something in his word, we've got to focus on the whole thing. What did God say? We've got to take the first part, the second part, the third part, the fourth part. We've got to keep it all in our minds. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? So, the king asked for advice. There's a whole lot of advice asking, isn't there? The king asked advice. He made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods of Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one up in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. He set up two golden calves. Where did we first hear about these? In the wilderness, at the mountain. And Moses was up in the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments and other things from God. He comes down off the mountain because God says, Your people, I've rebelled, going down there. And so he goes on down and takes care of it, and they got this golden calf set up. Where did the children of Israel get the golden calf from? They just uh, sit there one day and it just popped out. It, just, it did just pop out. But where did they get the image of the idea of a golden calf? Egypt. The, I believe it was a guy called a- Apis, Apis or something along like that. I think, did I put it in your outline for you? Apis or it was, it was something along that. I saw pictures of it, <clears throat> of what it uh, looked like. Where did Jeroboam just come from? Egypt. And so what, what was he doing down in Egypt? <laughs> now, when God called Jeroboam, Jeroboam was, must have been a God-fearing person. God wouldn't call him if he was not a God-fearing person, if he was not loyal to God. The rebellion between him and Solomon probably came out because of the idolatrous worship that Solomon had gotten into. And he eventually has to flee for his life, and he goes down to Egypt. And when he comes back up into the land of Israel... The first act of king that we have that he does besides building up Shechem is he builds a golden calf, which is just like he came out of Egypt. So that means during his time in Egypt, instead of meditating on the promise of God, he fell into the practices of what was going on around him. And he brings that back up into Israel. But he tries to convert it. All right, these are Egyptian gods. But these are the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Maybe he even goes back into the, the, to the, uh, the, the scriptures and he shows where the children of Israel have built this before. And said, this is your God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the children of Israel fall for it. They go after it. They pursue it. And the northern tribe never serves God as a nation. They never have a good king. They never have a godly king. They never have a king in the north ever who served God. There's not one good king in the northern tribes. The southern tribes has a few. They have more bad than they have good, but they do have a few. Once they made the separation, they get a few. But not so in the north. Every single one. If you find out there's a king from the north, you know it's a bad king. Doesn't matter how they got started. Once they take the throne... Bad. 
Every single one. And God waited until all those kings went on through. And then, uh, I forget how many there were. There's 19, 20, something like that. There's a, forget the number. He waited for all of them to get on through. And then he judges the nation. So he sets one up in Bethel. He puts one in Dan. Now here's the thing. He says it's too much for you to go all the way down to Jerusalem. So he sets two of them up. One's in Bethel, which is on the way to the southern part. So it's in the southern area. So that one is more convenient. You can stop off at Bethel instead of continuing the journey on down to Jerusalem. But one is all the way up in Dan, which is way up in the north. And it says people even went as far as Dan to worship this golden calf. So it, he may have said it was for convenience, but people became inconvenienced to go on up there and to, and to do that. Verse 30, Now this thing became a sin for the people who went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. There's probably two reasons why he did this. One, he needs to establish something different from what they have in the south. But two, where did the Levites go? They're down in Jerusalem. How many Levites are in the northern tribes? None. They're all down in Jerusalem. So he really has no priests. So if you are going to have priests for your new religion that you're going to do in the north, you have to get some people. And there's no Levites. So he's going to come there and says, look, <laughs> under, the, under those guys down there, only one group of people can be priests. But up here, I see you all as being godly people. I see you all as having a call of God in your life. And if you feel that you have the call of God in your life to be a priest, we're in agreement with you and we'll make a priest out of you up here. And that, you know, that will appeal to some people and appeal to some of them. Now, we do know from the history of Israel <clears throat> that some of them did not like this. There are some from all tribes. The ten tribes that went up north, there were some of them that said, we don't like where this is going. And they said, we're leaving. And they left. This is what's really huge. They left their inheritance. Because if you are the tribe of Dan, if you are the tribe of Manasseh, if you are the tribe of Ephraim, whatever tribe you are from, your inheritance is in your territory. It belonged to your father, belonged to his father, belonged all the way on down. Parents from before, they all had that same land. The year of Jubilee comes, it's supposed to go back. If you sold it, it's supposed to go back to you. They didn't do that. But it was supposed to. And so they would always stay in your family. They left it. Sold it, whatever they did. They they left the northern tribe to go down to the south where they had no inheritance. That's how convicted some of these people were to, to do that. And so the tribe of, the, of Judah, the tribe of the south, became representative of all tribes of Israel. All of them were represented in the south. Not so in the north, but the, the north had the ten tribes. But the south not only had those two, Benjamin and Judah, but eventually... People came from all the tribes and, and uh, populated the south. So he, Jeroboam goes on. He made shrines in the high places. He made priests of every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month. 
in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burnt, <clears throat> and burned incense. So he just came up with a month. Let's see, what month shall we do this? And what day shall we do it on? Well, this one, he devised it in his own heart. This is where most religions have. People have devised things in their own heart and it is a problem. Which, this is an attitude that we see, especially in this country, other places as well. We want to devise things in our own heart. Well, how do you know that's the way to heaven? I think this way is the way to heaven. Who are you to say that I'm wrong? Hmm. See, we devise things in our I think that God is this way. I think God is a woman. I think God does this. I think God looks like this. And they come up with different things. First of all, God is neither male nor female because Adam was created in the image of God. And when Adam was created, he had both male and female in him. They, when God made Eve, he took the female part out and separated those two parts. But, you know, that's a Genesis teaching. We don't need to get into all that. But God is not male as we think of male. So these people get all up in arms that, well, everybody thinks he's a, he's a man. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. But that's, that's a whole other thing. But that's where we come up. You know, we have a whole translation now that some churches have adopted that talks about God as a female deity. We won't use it here. We don't, we don't. I've had things that have quotes from that translation, even though the quote is just fine. I, I will not use it. <laughs> I, I, will, I will rewrite. The, we've had bulletin covers. The, the image is great. The verse is great. I love all that stuff. But the, the, the translation comes from that. And I'm so passionate about this. They put an editor with it. I will go into the editor. I will take out all of the old translation. I will put in the new translation that I want. I will change everything on it. And, and it takes a while. It goes from instead of just pulling the image and putting it on the bulletin cover, you know, 15 minutes later, we'll have it done. Because I, I will not, you, you will not see. I won't even tell you what it is. But you will not see that translation ever show up on, on our, uh, we won't use it. We won't, we won't do that particular thing. And it's not the NIV. The NIV has its bad sides to it, but it's not as bad as this particular translation is. It is, it is horrendous. Whole Christian denominations have adopted it as their translation. That's how, how much that's, that's going on. It's, uh, it is something else. Did any of you see this report that came out? Came out I don't know. That over the, they, they do polls, how many people in our country um, <clears throat> uh, represent themselves as Christian. The number came out, we're in the 70, it's in the 70 percent percentile. 70 some percent, I forget exactly what it was. It was, it was uh, <clears throat> I don't know, low 70s, I think it was. Identified themselves in this country as Christian. One percent as Muslim. But that much as Christian. And look at the things that are being done in this country that are against Christians. But the majority is Christian. Now, here's another thing about that number. The number over the last six years dropped the most it has ever dropped. That was, it's a, it, apparently, that, it has never had a drop like it did. over the last. Now, you have to figure out what's going on in the last six years. Is it the pressure, pressure from government on churches? Because there's been a lot of pressure on government from churches to support contraception that they don't believe in. Catholic Church had to, had to do some things. The stuff with Hobby Lobby that was going on about them with the contraception. The, the pressure for gay marriage. There's been a lot of pressure 
on churches to conform and to do things. So does that mean that the people are afraid to identify themselves as Christian? Does it mean that the people are frustrated with their church because they gave in? Does it mean that people are losing interest in the church because the church hasn't stood up? I don't know what it... I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I just heard this report yesterday, and I'm kind of contemplating on this. The largest percentage drop has occurred over the last, uh, from any other period of time. This is, this is it. So what has been going on that has changed this? But still, we're in the 70%. We're still, and this is just people who identify. We're not talking about how many people fill up the churches. We're not saying that 70% of America fills up churches. We're just saying people that if you call them up on the phone, are you a Christian? Are you this? Are you that? Are you that? This is what they would say. So that's an interesting tidbit. So I'm still pondering on that and trying to figure that out. All right, what, what's, what's, causing the, what's causing the drop? I mean, if someone were to call you up on the phone, pretty much any, I would say this of anybody in the church. If anybody here in the church got called up on the phone, how would you identify yourself? Would you say you're a Christian? Would you say you're uh, non-religious? Would you say it's your uh, uh, whatever term, whatever they but How many people in this church do you think would say, I'm Christian? I think all of them would. Yeah. So I'm not sure <laughs> what, that, what that number is made up of, but you know, you have denominations that are, are giving in to some of, these, some of these things, doing some of these things, and maybe that's uh, some of the, the frustration. Well, it would be great if you could find out who is that... Uh, whatever percentage that dropped off, if we could call them. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Before you identified yourself, what happened? What changed in you? Then we know for sure, but um, I'm not able to get that. If anybody's interested in that report, I can uh, always uh, send that over to you to check it out. But, but anyway, so he did all this stuff out of his own heart. We are, we are not here to tell people what we think the Word says. We are not here to tell people what we think the way to heaven is. We are here to tell people what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says is the way to heaven. What the Word of God says is good or bad behavior. What the Word of God says is right or wrong. We're not here to justify it. I'm not here to defend why God thinks this. I am simply here, and you're simply here, to say this is what the Word says. And this is is what we do. But even back here in this day, Jeroboam decides on his own. A man who was hand-selected by God to be king was given a promise, like a promise like David was given, was given 10 of his precious tribes. That man was able to do these things. If you ever wonder why it is that some pastors and some ministers and some people in the body of Christ have been able to do some of the evil things that they have done. You don't have to go any further than the Bible itself. You've got Jeroboam's, you've got Solomon's, you've got people who God gave great things to, and they did terrible things with them. It doesn't mean that God was wrong in giving it to them. They had their own free choice, which to do. Uh, Satan himself, how much did he lose? How much had God given him? heard uh, somebody comparing Satan before. You know that show, The Biggest Loser? I've not watched it. I, I just know it's a cool name, The Biggest Loser. It's a, it's a great name for, for that, but I've not sat there. And, and you know, watching people diet and exercise is not my idea of fun. But um, 
some people, and if you like it, that's fine. I'm not picking on you at all. I probably like some shows that you all don't like either, like Star Trek and you know stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, the biggest loser has to be Satan. There is no one who lost more than him. He was at the top of all of God's creations. And now he's at the bottom. What a fall. No one has lost as much as he has. Not even Solomon. Not even Jeroboam. But Jeroboam was given a great promise. But he didn't hang on to it. He devised things in his own heart. And he went after it in his own way. I put this at the end of your outline here. Sometimes it is easier to devise our own plan to accomplish God's calling or promise than it is to do it God's way. And the word of God is filled with people who did this. That God gave them a promise and they come up with their own way to accomplish it. Their own way to do it. Whenever God called someone, whenever he promised them, he gave them some things to do. And all they had to do was be focused on those things. Moses was given some things. Joshua was given some things. Wasn't a whole lot of things. God kept it small in number. Focus on this. What was uh, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Gave him some things to do about meditating on the Word of God. That's all he had to do. Focus on that. Jeroboam was just given a few things to do. And he couldn't do it. He, he went off on other things. The promises that God has given us, they don't require a whole lot. But we do it to obey what it is that God said to do. Whatever the promise is that we're pursuing, whatever things in the Word of God become real to us, whatever call God has given us, what has He said to do? Those are the things we need to be focused on the most. Father, we thank You for the examples You give us in Your Word. It's hard for us to see someone like Jeroboam go from a place of being called so quickly to a place of failure. But he did. And you put him in the Word of God so that we could see that our own devised ways will not bring about success. But the way that you told us to go will. David is the greatest example because you established his throne forever just as you said it would. Solomon, Jeroboam, Saul, the people we can look to and see they didn't do it God's way. They did it their own way. And they failed. They didn't even learn from the people that were behind them. They didn't even learn from the people who succeeded who were behind them. Father, help us to learn to always be mindful because you will make our way successful. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.